Hi, welcome to Sistery Untold. We're your sisters and hosts, Sabrina and Marva. On this podcast, we talk about history through the eyes of sisterhood. Yes, we do. And this time we are actually going to do it. Yes, yeah, it's very historical. New times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, welcome back. I know we took a little bit of a break, um, but we're back with our regularly scheduled content. Um, so happy to be back. I'm glad, Marvie, you're feeling a bit better. Yeah, definitely. So I'm also glad to be back and doing some fun research and talking to people and being alive. So it is all good. Good. Um, yeah, so before we get started, we have a few announcements. So first of all, we want to remind you that we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us on all of those, just Sistery Untold. And that's a great way to connect with us and stay up to date with what's going on on the show. And we'd love to hear from you in our DMs or messages if you have any episode ideas or questions. So definitely check those out. We also have a Patreon, and we would love your support if you search for us on Patreon at Sistery Untold or go to our website and click Join the Sisterhood. There's a lot of information about it there. But essentially, by supporting us on Patreon at any tier, you get access to the Sisterhood, which is a discussion forum on our website where we talk about the episodes. And you also support us to do things like buy new microphones so we don't get more complaints about our sound quality, which I seem (laughs) to get very often. (laughs) And you also can just help us keep doing this podcast as not just a labor of love, but also a labor of a little bit of money. So, yeah. Yeah, and another way you can definitely help support us if you like the show is by leaving a review uh, wherever you listen to podcasts or on Apple Podcasts is one of the best places to leave a review um, because that just helps people find out about our show and us reach new listeners as well as you spreading the word through word of mouth, telling your friends family um sharing our posts on instagram sharing our episodes with anyone who you think would like to listen uh but so please find us on apple podcasts if you have an iphone and leave us a five-star review and let us know what you think about the show cool well sabrina so i know you're on vacation right now so thanks for taking the time out of your vacation waking up at 5 a.m to do this show um there's like it's going to be nice because I actually know I won't get to see the sunrise because I'm facing west. But I'm looking over a gorgeous lake right now. Uh, oh, yeah. There's also like a like really bright light shining in my face. So How I'm going to get a headache over the course west? of that. Because I know that's where the sun sets. Because I watched the sunset. Oh, fancy. Well, at least fancy. You can watch is... the sunset anytime, anywhere if you just face west. Okay, sure. Well, this for me is the first time that we're recording at a decent time, so I'm pretty mm-hmm. excited. Um, it still hasn't helped my nerves. I'm still, like, so nervous whenever mm-hmm. we go to record anything of my episodes. So mm-hmm. um, if I'm talking too fast, just tell me to slow down. And I probably <laughs> won't, but I will think about it at least. Okay. Um, 
Okay, so this is our second episode in the Medieval Queens series that I'm doing. And just like all of pretty much, actually not just Medieval episodes, almost every episode that I've done, everybody just has the same name. So um, luckily for you, there are only two names that you really need to remember in this episode, and they are Isabella and Edward, because both of our lead characters are named Isabella. Um, so we're going to call one of them Isabella and the other one Beaumont, because that is her last name. And um, the one who we're calling Isabella, she doesn't have a last name because she's a queen. So there's not really any other choice. Perfect. Um, Wait, I have a random tangent. I was reading Persuasion yesterday, and I almost put this on our Instagram because we always talk about the name thing. But Mm -hmm. there's this line where they're like, he's reading like the the Barentage or whatever, Barentancy, that book of like barons. Uh And they're like, they had a list of all the Marys and Elizabeths everyone had married. And I just thought it was so funny that Jane Austen was like, everybody gives each other the same thing. Yeah. Because it is a problem. Yeah, it's yeah. just so So crazy. it's not just for our podcast, it's for all history-related things. Yeah. It's not my fault that we just always keep having the same names. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is what happens when you live in, like, the Western culture. Um, so... Basically, this story is going to start a hundred years after our last story. So I wanted to start off after with our this... last medieval queen story. Yeah, after our last medieval queen story. So I wanted to start off with a brief, again, super brief history of what happened in between the end of Eleanor of Aquitaine's life, I guess, and the beginning of our story here. And so that is basically the entire 13th century, um, which Sabrina and I apparently know absolutely nothing about because when I asked what things she wanted to learn about, she said the plague and the crusades. And as I looked more into this century, those the crusades were kind of going on, but just like there was like the ninth and 10th crusade, like kind of not the big deal ones. And the plague just hadn't happened yet. So um, we will not be talking about either of those things. It's not my fault that when you're in like elementary school and they teach you about history, they just say the Middle Ages and then they just close the chapter. They don't say like any years or anything. I know like 1054 was something. Norman conquest. Um, No, that was 1066. Oh, whatever. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Well, uh, okay. trying. Ten. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just keep embarrassing yourself. But I'm going to move on with the actual research that I've actually done. Um, <laughs> so, so my fault. The American school system failed me. I'm pretty sure that it's not the American school system. I'm sure 100% that the American school system did not tell you that the Norman Conquest happened in 1054. <laughs> um. <laughs> Anyways, let I'm trying to move on for was, your benefit. Was so you the Magna Carta like 1154? I don't know, man. I feel like 54 is. I'm gonna look it up after the episode. Go ahead, let's get okay. started. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, notable things that happened in the, thir- in the 13th century. Um, Genghis Khan uh, came to power in Mongolia, breaking down all the barriers between the east and west. Hmm. 
the Mongolians had previously been a whole bunch of different warring tribes, and that made the land that connected Europe to Asia like too dangerous to pass through. Mm. But when Genghis Khan united all the tribes, uh, he conquered loads of land. It was he had the biggest empire, like the biggest land empire in history, like ever. Hmm. And, like, included, like, China, like, into Eastern Europe, and hmm. the Middle East, and so. Crazy that we always learn about, like, the Roman Empire, and it wasn't even as big as that one. Yeah, like, the Genghis Khan's empire, the Mongol Empire, was twice the size of the United States. Uh, yeah, they had new trade routes, and they revived the old Silk Roads. Um, mm. And until the 13th century, many Europeans believed that Asia with Asia was filled with demons and headless men. Um, upon I was just talking to someone on our Instagram about this. Oh my gosh! But go ahead. I'm gonna stop interrupting. <laughs> okay. There's a really yeah. great map from like the 1200s about this. It's called Mapa Mundi. The 1200s is of... the 13th century. I know. That's why I'm talking about it. <laughs> but when I asked you, do you have your knowledge any... of what centuries are? We know. See, when I asked you, do you have any questions about the 1200s? That was not anything that you brought up. I said, look at maps. Okay. Well, I'll post some maps on the blog so people can um, see them. Yeah. Upon actually traveling there, they found that they were not demons or headless. Um, that actually they had very cosmopolitan cultures and skilled tradesmen and scientific advancements and a lot of more like religious tolerance. Uh, Marco Polo was one of the first travelers who took this journey and he spent 17 years living in China and like learning from them before going back to Italy. Mm. Other places in the world it in Egypt, the Mamluk Empire stopped the Mongol Empire from going any further west. Uh, Mamluk means slave, and the empire had been built by uh, Bavan, a former slave that had worked his way up from being a slave to a military leader to a sultan. Hmm. And I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, go Mamluk. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then trade routes uh, in the east and west met in Venice, Italy, and this is where mm. Venice became kind of like the big popular city that it is. And the Venetian merchants, including Marco Polo, became very wealthy, and uh, European scholars learned from the eastern travelers and scientists and non-scientists, and they started doing experiments in a way that they hadn't done before. And they started creating encyclopedias and writing down the knowledge of old women, scientists, and wizards. Huh. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, there's even someone who I can't remember his name who was basically invented like planes and like modern ships and automobiles. Like he like hypothesized their existence, but mm. obviously didn't have the like techniques technical mm -hmm. ability to like actually create them but this, this is when they were kind us... of Sorry, first thought of yeah nope, this what are you saying? gives us more um depth to that debate of like what's the first science fiction book like if someone was like thinking about all these inventions in the 1200s mm -hmm. like did mary shelley really write the first science fiction book but 
Yeah. I, I mean, not that it wasn't like a novel, but I mean, like a book at all. Like, yeah. About things like that. Like a text. Yeah. I also just love the pre-imperialism energy. Marco Polo goes there, learns about the culture for 17 years, doesn't try to take it over, and then creates mm-hmm. a symbiotic relationship between the East and West. Like, what were we doing post-1492 <laughs> where we were just like, when we go somewhere, instead of doing that and having like a great relationship that benefits both countries, being like, oh, no, no, we'll own this <laughs> now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's okay, we can rant about this plenty in our upcoming episodes. Yeah, about we've got a lot of colonial, yeah, a lot yeah. of colonial episodes coming up. Um, another famous person at this time was Saint Francis of Assisi, and he taught Christian people to appreciate and learn from the natural world. And in this time period, God was sometimes portrayed as a scientist. Um, wow. Okay. Yes. Also, major enlightenment vibes. I see you. Twelve hundreds. Yeah, but so there's a reason why these things kind of get like lost and forgotten, which is because as soon kind of as the 1200 ended, so did all of these great advancements because mm. of the things that we talked about, like the plague and famine mm. and a whole bunch of natural disasters that kind of set people um, back, at least in Europe, uh, mm. back a lot further. Um, so, but this is the... Um, kind of like thing that we're coming out of in the story that we're going to talk about so it's good times yeah sometimes these are crazy <laughs> times like okay. in this story honestly sabrina you're not going to even believe it oh no okay okay so like i said we're talking about two isabellas uh the first isabella is isabella de beaumont um, she was the daughter of Louis de Brienne and Agnes de Beaumont, who was the Viscountess of beaumont Amain in her own right. And so Isabella and her siblings used their mother's name instead of their father's name. Mm. Uh, the Beaumonts were a powerful noble family with French origins. And Isabella Beaumont herself was the granddaughter of John of Brienne, who was the king of Jerusalem by his th- third wife, Benegaria of Lyon. And okay. So from now on, I'm going to just call her Beaumont instead of Isabella because okay. I just don't want it to get confusing. For sure. So Beaumont was born probably sometime in the 1260s. We don't know the exact date or even year. And she was a cousin to the English kings and through her grandmother. Uh, was cousin to Edward I, who was also her cousin, his wife. So she was cousins with both of them. Oh, um, gross. Of course. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, Isabella arrived in England. Oh, sorry. Beaumont arrived in England in 1278 or 1279, and she married John de Vesci, uh, a prominent noble, the Lord of Allenwick, in about 1280 finally someone's marrying at a reasonable age (laughs) like i guess at the oldest she was 20 but she was like at least a teenager not eight or 12 or (laughs) anything like the last medieval story yeah don't worry that will go away soon so the marriage was an advantageous one for john but also it strengthened isabella's english credentials in the plantagenet court 
where John, who was a close associate of both Henry III and Edward I, was a central figure. Um, excuse me. Sorry, I don't know why I said that. What is Plantagenet? So Plantagenet is the dynasty that we remember um, Matilda started. So they oh, ended okay. up being the ruling family of England for the next, like, 350 years, I think it was. Okay, I see. So, um... When Isabella and her husband traveled to Gascony in 1288, Edward arranged for them to have apartments next to his own royal lodgings and had them specially decorated for Christmas. And mm. Isabella was one of the closest friends of Queen of the Queen Eleanor up until till her death in 1290. Mm. Beaumont's husband died in 1289. And after that, she took her brother-in-law, William de Vesci, uh, to court over, like, to court, not, like, royal court, but, like, yeah, to, like, like legal, legal court. court. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, over her husband's lands. Uh, and so she won and was left a major landowner in England. Hmm. Let's go, girl. Get your property. Yeah. Her land stretched from Scotland all the way down to Kent, which Kent is, like, the south east coast of england and scotland is obviously scotland um (laughs) yes and after her brother-in-law's disastrous fall from favor in ireland she effectively became the most senior member of the beaumont vecchi family um and in 1300 her brother henry arrived in england where she convinced the king to grant him lands formerly owned by her late husband so Beaumont was also responsible for uh, organizing the marriage of her brother Henry to the niece of John Common, Earl of Buchan, or Buchan, Buchan, um, in turn for ensuring that Henry inherited the earldom and many Scottish properties. In combination, the Beaumont family also held numerous properties in the disputed Kingdom of Scotland. And, like, this is important. I know it sounds random, but the Scottish um, properties are going to play a big role later on. Okay. Partly partly because um, the Scottish king died, and so did three of his children all in quick succession, leaving only his three-year-old daughter, Margaret. And the Scottish lords agreed that Margaret would marry King Edward I's son. Uh, But at the age of seven, she also fell ill and died. And Mm. there were several Scots who put in claims for the throne, and they invited Edward to come and conduct the proceedings in helping them decide who should be the next king. Hmm. Edward, however, did not do that. He came, and he claimed feudal like superiority over scotland oh yeah i was like wow that's so nice of them like they must have been on good terms not for long yeah so edward i'm not gonna get like too deep into but he has like this is kind of his thing is because he basically does the same thing with wales and this is how wales kind of becomes part of not the United Kingdom, but, like, you know, becomes Great part person. of, like, with England. Um, so there's this entire thing about, like, paying homage. So you have, like, a king, and they're all trying to prove who is, like, the more superior king. So 
what Edward wants is for like the princes of Wales and the king of Scotland to say that in the feudal structure that the king of England is always superior to them, which obviously they don't agree with. Um, Mm. But so that's just like a little theme that is going to continue. Um, So then obviously Scotland's not pleased. So they go to war with England and this war continues for like decades, even after Edward's death. Simultaneously, Edward is having a similar problem with the traditionally English land Gascony, which is in France. It's like between France and Spain. And King Philip of France had confiscated the Duchy of Gascony, and that made Edward very unhappy and so then they're now kind of like having not like a full-on war but like discontent between them as well edward it seems a little bit greedy yeah but i mean it's like one of those things and we're going to talk about this at the end where like he has like this great reputation like in history because people at the time really liked him he Mm. was called the hammer of the scots because he um was really successful in a lot of the times of fighting these wars over Scotland, which obviously English people liked. Uh, mm-hmm. We now would be like, hmm, that's not really cool. Yeah. Um, he was also like super, had like a lot of super anti-Semitic um, laws. And like, this is when like the Jews were like expelled from England and all this kind of stuff. Oh my but gosh. I think, um, okay. So anyways, back to Beaumont. Um, she was made constable of two royal castles. Scarborough Castle in Yorkshire and Bamber Castle in Northumberland, uh, which became her main power base by Edward I in 1304. This was an extremely rare honor for a woman. In fact, it had never happened before. And Hmm. this was And a constable is like a kind of like police chief? Like she's like the governor of these castles. So like of this like yeah, land. Wow, Um, I've read the word constable so many times I never knew that's what it meant. I think it means different things in different times, you know. Okay. Yeah, because you can have like a police constable, but she's not like out here running the police force. She's out here running these castles. Like city. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. So um this is notable for its unprecedented nature, um, but also because of the location. They were up in the, like, the far north of England, really close to the conflict in Scotland. So it shows that not only was she a powerful figure, but she was really trusted and respected by the king to keep control of these lands, mm-hmm. um, even though they were like, on the borders of war. Mm-hmm. And so Edward I died in 1307, and his son also Edward, became King Edward II. And in 1308, he married Isabella of France, and Beaumont became the new queen's lady-in-waiting and fast friend. Oh, wow. Because of her feudal responsibilities throughout the country, though, she and the queen were frequently apart, uh, but they corresponded by letters, which in some ways is, like, better for us because then things are, like, written down. Yeah. uh, the Beaumonts allied themselves closely to Queen Isabella, which is going to be important when we learn more about Isabella and the struggles that she faced. Baronial attempts were made to remove 
Beaumont from her governorship in Bamberg Castle, and Edward II wrote to her, instructing her to delay as long as possible, and she hung on, but eventually agreed to surrender the castle in exchange for lands in Lincolnshire and Dorset. During this time period, we'll find out more when we talk about Queen Isabella, but Edward II had a lot of conflict with the nobles and the barons. Mm. And so they would kind of do like anything to upset him and Mm. that. And so that included trying to get Isabella out of the north. Because they also, they didn't really feel like she belonged there because she was French. And even though actually her husband's family had been, was English and had been in the north for like a lot longer than these other like families, they just didn't really see her as belonging. Mm -hmm. Also, wait a second. I have a question from something a long time ago. We can cut this out if it sounds weird. Okay. But when you said her grandmother is like the queen of Israel or something. Mm-hmm. Like, is she really Israeli? Mm, I don't. She, I think like, it's European, more of like, and she just be, like says she's the queen of Israel. It's more of a like crusadey type thing. Okay, of, like whoever is in charge of Israel at the time, because it's always going back and forth during this time period between whoever is um, winning the crusades, basically. Okay. Yeah, because I was like, if she's like Jewish or Hebrew or whatever, anything that's Mm. not European, I feel like she wouldn't have this much power at this time period. No, she's fully European. She's like as French as French can be. Um, Sorry, I just was thinking about that. But no worries. But she did when she did hand over her castle, she didn't hand hand it over to the baron. She had handed them over to King Edward. She came back to court in 1313 and they she increasingly relied on Queen Isabella for protection and support because the barons didn't really like her. Mm. Um, and the queen and Isabella were super close, so she like supported her fully and they sent her like many gifts, including this was one that was just specifically listed. Um, brie cheese from france and wild <laughs> boar meat oh um, makes a yeah. nice little charcuterie yeah <laughs> um so is uh beaumont accompanied the king queen on diplomatic visits to france and though um queen isabella was instrumental in getting another of her brothers Louis de Beaumont, another opponent of some of the barons appointed bishop of durham in 1317 Louis assured the king that he would be a stone wall against Scottish invasion in the north. So because of Queen Isabella's relationship with Beaumont, they were able to like really help her family out um, and get new lands and that kind of stuff for her, mm-hmm. for herself, for her brother, brother-in-laws, everybody. Mm-hmm. And Beaumont stayed fiercely loyal to her new queen and friend, uh, even through some very turbulent times during Edward II's reign. So we're going to leave Beaumont, Isabella, Isabella Beaumont there, and we're going to talk about Queen Isabella uh, right now. Okay. And <laughs> Yes. So she was born around 1295. We don't know any 
exact information. Um, but she oh, was, so she was quite a bit younger. She was like 30 yeah. years younger. Okay. Yeah. So she was born to King Philip of France and Queen Joan of Navarre. And this is very notable and unique because both her mother and father were queen were regents in their own right hmm. of separate territories. So she was the only queen of England to be born of two reigning monarchs. And this also made her just like the one of the most like superior royal, like noble people in all of Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, she's and, queen like three times over. Yeah. So this was something that she knew very well and would play a big part in her personality. Um, But she was also said to be a great beauty. And at her time, she was called Isabella the Fair. Uh, Her highly noble birth made her a hot commodity on the marriage market. (laughs) And she was betrothed to Edward II in her infancy. Oh, okay. (laughs) yeah two extremes one woman gets married at like a reasonable age the other one is born and engaged okay yeah so in 1308 edward ii and his stepmother the dowager queen margaret came to france to collect isabella wow literally 13 on the dot they're just like you're a teenager come get my wife well, yeah, she's not quite 13 yet. We know that she's 12, so her birthday must be some... They oh, came in January. Oh, so. Okay. Yeah. Okay, um, But so, yeah, this marriage was such a big deal that Edward had put off his coronation until after he was married so they could be coronated together. Aww. Even though we know his father died in 1307. You are going to take back that all really quick. Okay. Um. <laughs> Uh, Isabella's father, King Philip, wanted to make sure his daughter's wealth and value was well known, so he sent her off in style with many lavish gifts, and they were married on January 25th, 1308. I thought they got her in 1309. No, they came in 1308. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Sorry. Just cut this out. (laughs) I don't know any math. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, her uncles attended the wedding and they came to England with her to see her crowned. And so although we're only, by my count, two paragraphs into talking about Queen Isabella, <laughs> things are going to start going downhill for oh, no. her fast. Um, as soon as she and her uncles arrived in England... Uh, along with her husband, Edward, they realized that Isabella was not going to have the place in court or in Edward's heart that they would have expected the queen to take. When the ship first landed, Edward ran off the ship and into the arms of his lover, Pierre <gasps> Gaveston. <gasps> oh, yeah. no. Like, literally, like, ran off, like, open arms, like, jumped into the arms. Um, he didn't mention that on the many weeks of carriage rides to no. England or boats or anything was not like by the way I have a lover you and I can be good friends let's figure out something that works <laughs> for both of us because I want you to be in on this and not blindsided when you set foot in a foreign country yeah oh my gosh. I think so I one of the things that I was listening to about Isabella um, it did make a really good point to me, though, because so Edward is 11 years older than Isabella. So he's like 23. Um, mm-hmm. And 
it was I was listening to the Queens of England podcast and the host was saying that like although this is like a scandal like surely it makes sense because she is 12 years old um yeah that like he would rather spend time with someone his own age yeah than his 12 year old bride um Anyways, so Pierce Gaveston was a low-ranking, like, he was a squire, so he's a low-ranking member of the upper classes who Edward had met and fallen in love with in his youth. And from what I've seen in my research, the relationship between Edward and Piers, although it wasn't, like, going to be popularly supported, it was kind of accepted at the time, homosexual wow. relationships oh amongst... My gosh. 13th century so woke I know this is early 14th century but still I think woke is a bit of a stretch um because they they did exile but they were not super homophobic so it's good yeah well so they in this I I'm speaking only for like nobility and up Mm. classes I don't know about the peasants um Mm. but so the relationship, yeah, was kind of accepted as long as they were married to women and still produced heirs because that's what everything mm, was about mm-hmm. anyways. Um, and mm-hmm. men having affairs was kind of, like, nothing to bite, bat an eyelash. Eyelid? Eyelash? Um, bat an eye at. Bat an eye at, anyways. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't like whatever metaphor it is. It sounds... <laughs> yeah. Anyways... So the main problem here was how much favoritism the king showed Piers and mm. Piers's low rank in society. Um, this definitely would not sit well with Isabella or her uncles when they came to the coronation because the king put Piers in charge of planning the ceremony, which that in itself was not something that a squ- somebody at the rank of a squire would have also, yeah, like, your like extramarital lover should not be planning your wedding. It's not their wedding; it's their progressive, coronation. But not that progressive. Okay, <laughs> whatever. But yes, agreed. Um, Pierce also just took it like one step further and was as extra as he could possibly be. Um, at the coronation, the highest noble in the land would usually have the role of carrying the king's crown in the procession. This was an mm. honor that Pierce, though, bestowed on wow. himself. Um, and he also wore purple, which was a color that was meant to be exclusively <gasps> worn by the king and queen. Totally illegal. Yeah. Like, clothing coding was, like, so important. Damn. Yeah. Um, and commentators at the time said that the way he was dressed, he more resembled the god Mars than an ordinary noble. <laughs> I like it, though. <laughs> yeah. I feel like um, that's a compliment. I look like a god. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure that is what he was going for. So, mm-hmm. um, oh, I get also- why like the nobility hated him, hated Edward so much. Yeah. Um, also, at the feast uh, for Edward and Isabella's co- coronation, Edward and Pierce sat at the head of the table, and Isabella was pushed off to the side. And Edward also gave some of the gifts that Isabella's uncles had brought them to Pierce, um, which, like, outraged them, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah, gosh. which I think if you're like, oh, here's a gift for my niece, and then they're just like, actually, let's give it to the person who's going to sideline them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, um, like, I don't get is Edward, like, dumb, or, because, like, these things are not just, like, oh, like, 
you know, it's like a lot of Mm -hmm. things that would anger a lot of people and have actual consequences when you're dealing with people who are in charge of armies and countries and like regions. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Edward, he doesn't strike me as being like the brightest bulb. Um, So overall, Pierce Gaveston and the king were very unpopular with the nobles. And Pierce did everything he could to further sideline Isabella, and this angered her and the nobles, and most importantly, Isabella's father, the King of France. Mm-hmm. After receiving letters from his daughter about her treatment at court, Philip sided with the nobles and added Il- Isabella's name to a list of nobles that demanded Gaveston's removal. Oof. Edward eventually caved to the pressure and... This is all still in 1308, so this is there's oh been a lot that's happened. Rough year. Time. Yes. So for the second half of 1308, he sent Gaveston away, and Isabella was now able to step more fully into her role as queen. She exercised patronage and lands and titles, and Edward and her were like getting along better with the nobles because the nobles got less sidelined. Mm-hmm. Isabella uh no Edward gave Isabella a lot of gifts and they started to like actually bond in whatever way they could bond um but Edward definitely had ulterior motives because he was trying to win Isabella over to his side because he wanted to have Pierce Gaveston back um and he wanted Isabella slash really Isabella's father's support Philip though refused to give Edward the support but this was something that was odd to me that actually the Pope stepped in and like he said that Edward should bring back Pierce Gaveston. Um, hmm. And so he came back to court in June of 1309. Okay. Wow. That was kind of short-lived ex- like exile yeah. for Pierce. Upon Gaveston's return, he was out for revenge. Uh, the mm-hmm. barons and nobles were still opposed to him, and Isabella was kept close by the side of her husband and Gaveston for her safety, basically. Yes. And at this time, though, she, I mean, she's 13, so what she actually does and feels, I don't know if, like, we have a good feeling of that, but as far as we can tell, she still she was very much supportive of her husband and Gaveston, and she wrote letters to the nobles to try and calm them down. Um, She's so because, sweet. Yeah. Um, but the nobles were also trying to limit the power of the king at this point because they just could not stand the favoritism that, that he yeah. bestowed on Gaveston. Um, And Isabella, knowing that she is, like, the most royal person in the world, we think would kind of have been, like, against any kind of limits on royal power as Mm. well. So it Mm -hmm. might not be that she just really supports her husband and Gaveston, but that she's like, no, you can't take away royal power because that in turn means her as well. But I do wonder how much, like, since she is 13, like, how much of this is her own decisions versus how much Mm -hmm. is it, like, her dad, her uncles, her advisors, like, telling her what to think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But also, um, I feel like it is really dangerous for Edward to have, like, this much favoritism towards anyone. Like, because, like, if it's towards, like, a squire, it's kind of, like, harmless. It's, like, annoying, but it's, like, whatever. 
But if you were to like have that much favoritism towards like another nobleman and like give them all the power, like that's really like mm-hmm. could cause a lot of damage to society. So I definitely see yeah. where they're coming from. It's like not a good yeah. trait in a leader. Yeah, definitely. So Gaveston was then exiled again, but that only lasted for two months. And he, <laughs> when he returned, Gaveston and Edward ran off and left Isabella. Um, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But so now this is a few years later that the, at the time that they run off, and this actually leads to civil war. Um, but Isabella plays not a large role in this war because she's now sixteen and pregnant. Wow! Like the she, she oh. <laughs> yeah. She went into confinement at Tynemouth Priory, I hate saying that word, um, in Newcastle. But so the war was led by Isabella's uncle, the Duke of Lancaster. And Mm. it went very badly for Edward because he was far from a great military leader. The um, Duke of Lancaster captured Piers Gaveston and executed him. Oh, shoot. Yeah, so things are escalating quite quickly. Oh, so um, her uncle is like fighting against the king in the civil war. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So cuz yeah, her uncle is one of the like big lords in the north, um and he's also the queen's uncle and he just has a lot like he's one of the most powerful nobles in the land and he hasn't been treated that way this whole time because mm-hmm. of Piers Gaveston. So he's kind of leading the rebellion against the king and Gaveston Mm -hmm. um so after Edward loses the war Isabella moved to Windsor Castle and she gave birth to her first son who of course was also named Edward um (laughs) so this was to this point Isabella's like biggest achievement because that's what you need a queen for anyways and Mm -hmm. This was also the only thing that, like, from history that Edward, at the time, was, like, given positive praise for, um, even though he didn't actually even do it, like, Isabella did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it had been a daughter, he would not have gotten any praise probably. Yeah. But they got lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so having this son, it led to peace with the nobles and Isabella and Edward went back to France to see her brothers be knighted and while they're in France King Philip and Edward get into new negotiations while they're there as now they're even more united because of them having like the grands Philip's grandson and Edward's son so they you know are like okay we really need to make peace Mm. now Mm -hmm. um and it's widely recognized and acknowledged that Isabella was the glue in holding everything between these two countries together. After they returned to England, Edward went to Scotland and Isabella acted as a go-between between the king and the nobles to try and again keep the peace between them. And in February of 1314, she went to Paris to negotiate for her husband um, another like treaty between them in France and the negotiations were successful so Isabella is just killing it on the peacekeeping front um but so this is the side story that I was gonna mention um that kind of goes to show what people thought of Isabella's character at the time um Mm -hmm. so 
she when she was there, she told her father that she was suspicious of two of her brother's wives. So she had two brothers, they so each had one wife. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. And she thought that they were having an affair because she noticed that on her previous trip to France, she gave each of them a little gold purse and they she now saw those purses in the hands of male knights. And so mm. upon further digging, it was discovered that they were having an affair and it led to the brutal execution of the knights. And I'm going to tell you what happened, but just be prepared. It is brutal. Oh dear. Okay. Um, they were castrated and their genitals were fed to, to dogs in front of them. <gasps> and they were whipped and broken on the wheel um, and then beheaded. The women were then humiliated and thrown into prison where they basically stayed for the rest of their lives. Um, that was way worse than what I, I didn't even imagine anything because you said it pretty quickly, but that was not at all what I was expecting. Yeah. I just um, love medieval, like, they were so creative. Like, now <laughs> we just, like, lethal injection, doop, 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 like, so oh not nice. God. But, like, dang wow yeah i just props yeah yeah i think it's like also though uh it says a lot of i mean we already know this about the time but that these wives had an affair and like it ended up in like these like brutal executions and uh but isabella's husband had been having an affair yeah for his their entire marriage and like it was like not a problem yeah but Um, like he's the king but yeah. I also like that the women were not executed. I'm sorry, it's problematic, but I just am like interesting choice and like I support it. So But I think also because the men they were like knights and the because mm. when women like when a princess or somebody has an affair, like it's treason. So they are the men were executed as if they committed treason. Oh wow. and yeah, so Anyways, Isabella returned to England in 1314, and Edward wanted to prove his strength as king, so he wanted to attack Scotland, uh, which he did, but he suffered a humiliating defeat. And That's just so dumb. That's just the most, like, toxic masculinity I've ever seen. You're just sitting in your castle being like, people don't realize that I'm really strong. I'm going to go kill a bunch of people. And then you just do. Well... You try, but you don't. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure a lot of people died. Even if you yeah. lost, people still died. That's true. Yeah. Well, and then it led to because then the Scots attacked the northern cities of England, and combined with bad weather, and this led to famine that would last from 1315 to 1317. Yes. Um, Isabella again is trying to act as a peace peacekeeper and she's acting as a mediator between her husband and her uncle the Earl of Lancaster but um, she was also busy having more babies she had three more children Uh, in 1316 she had a son named John and then she had two daughters Eleanor and Joan and when they reached peace finally between Scotland and England in 1318, Isabella is credited with negotiating this peace. Oh. It was short-lived, though, because the English attacked Scotland again. Oh, and my gosh. 
because uh, Edward wanted to, and Isabella's uncle, uh, the Lancaster, he pulled out early because he felt like they were facing defeat, and so mm. that ensured that Edward faced another humiliation. Mm. Uh, also, by 1318, the king had a new favorite, and his name was Hugh Dispenser. He rose up in the court to hold great positions in the king's privy council and used the king's favor to satisfy his greed to the extreme. Hmm. He was the, he was like a higher ranking person than peers. peers so mm-hmm. like that was less of a problem, but it also made it kind of more of a problem because he already had more power than peers in the first place. So mm-hmm. he was made the royal chamberlain, which meant he got to decide who got to spend time with the king. And it's a little bit disputed, like, whether or not this was a, like, sexual relationship between Hugh and Edward. But whatever it was, Edward was, like, passionately enthralled with Hugh. Um, Mm -hmm. And Edward allowed Hugh to do, like, crazy, wildly illegal things, like, unlawfully taking land uh, which, of course, angered the other nobles, and mm-hmm. they rose up against him. Uh, Isabella persuaded her husband to reach a deal, and she publicly begged him to make peace so that he wouldn't look weak. And I don't know if you remember, but we talked about this in the Eleanor and Matilda episode, that, like, one of the roles of the queen yeah. was to, you know, it was fine for her to, like, throw herself on the floor and be like, please, like... <laughs> go for peace um Mm. and then because it makes him look like he's being like fair and like taking his wife into consideration and like being like gentle rather than looking weak Mm -hmm. so she's just like fulfilling her queenly duty there Mm. isabella went on a pilgrimage but she took a detour to check on some of the nobles the king thought were disloyal and when she got there um to this one particular castle the lord she was looking for wasn't there and only his wife was there and she refused to let Isabella in. And Isabella Mm. ordered her guards to force their way into the castle, but the castle guards fired on them. And Isabella Mm. was not only humiliated, but also this was treason because you can't fire, like, arrows on the queen. Um, And Isabella, like we talked about, she's, like, very aware of her own like status Mm -hmm. uh so like somebody saying no to her is not gonna like go over well yeah Um, and edward took this opportunity to go on a tyrannical like war path around the country fighting in battles and getting revenge on the nobles who had rebelled against him and most importantly the ones who were responsible for killing piers gaveston And Isabella did her best to try and, you know, create peace again. And she was able to intervene and save the lives of one family called the Mortimers, which remember that name. Okay. So in 1320, the peace deal with Scotland had expired. It had been a two-year deal. And Isabella was... That's so weird. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I feel like Isabella is, like, literally just, like, putting Band-Aids on all of the messes that Edward makes, but then he never, like, actually heals any of these wounds. Isabella was staying in a castle near the border when they attacked, and Edward fled with Hugh Dispenser and left her behind. 
And this was kind of like Isabella's breaking point. She was like, are you serious? Yeah, she's um, done everything to try to protect him and his power. And yeah, he just runs away. Yeah. So she was furious and she engineered her own escape from the castle and took a very dangerous journey uh, by sea down south. It was so dangerous that two of her ladies-in-waiting died on the trip. Mm. Um, so. Dang. Yeah. This is it because was... it was just faster? She wanted to go that way? Yeah, well, they just needed to, like, get away. Like, they're being attacked, basically, yeah. by Scotland, and mm. she's on her own. So she's mm-hmm. like, I have to, like, sneak out of the castle at night and just get mm-hmm. as far away from here as possible. Mm-hmm. In summary, Edward had basically humiliated her from the beginning of their relationship with Piers Gaveston, and after his death, had taken on a new favorite, Hugh Dispenser, who basically ruled him. Like, Hugh Dispenser really was the one who was mm-hmm. in charge. Uh, along with being a disloyal husband, he had been weak at times, and other either going from, like, being super weak to being super, like, tyrannical. Mm-hmm. Um, like, never any in-between. Um, so despite all of this, Isabella had supported him, like, for years had his children um and then eventually she just got pushed too far to what what happened well we will see (laughs) okay so in 1322 her uncle lancaster eventually was killed and hugh dispenser turned his greed and anger on isabella He took her Mm. land and money and he (gasps) turned Edward against France, which was Isabella's country. um, That led to a war and obviously Edward's defeat because Edward does not win battles. Um, Yeah. But then this anti-French vibe in the country, he used even Hugh used even more to his advantage and said that all French people living in England should be imprisoned. Um, oh my gosh yeah and so this included a large portion of Isabella's household um, although they didn't put her herself in prison uh, but they took away like I said her lands and her income and then after this took away her children this extreme tyranny scared many noble families and a lot of them fled to France in 1325 she arranged with Edward and Dispenser to go to France to try and arrange a peace treaty between the two countries. Because now her brother is the king of France and still mm. technically her husband is the king of England. Yeah. And Isabella. The peace had... treaty should be kill Edward, make Isabella queen. <laughs> that is the only peace treaty I will accept. Mm-hmm. Um, Isabella, like, since she had stayed so loyal to Edward this whole time, despite everything going on that meant that they really trusted her so they Mm -hmm. allowed her to go to France Um, Mm -hmm. but as soon as she was in France she was like heck no I'm not going back Um, (laughs) good (laughs) so she did create a peace deal and in that deal Edward was supposed to go to France to pay homage to the French king because this was all partly about Gascony, the little land I was telling you about mm-hmm. before, because now the French king is saying that in the feudal world, he should be the higher king than Edward over Gascony. So that's like the deal mm-hmm. they work out. So Edward needs to pay homage to France. Is this whole like higher king thing because of like everyone's related and so like everyone has a right to the throne or what? 
Um, like what? What is the like higher thing in the feudal whatever? You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean, but I don't know because I think it's more of just like about a power thing to be like who actually is like the highest king and I think you're right because of maybe because of some of the relationships but also because so much of the land goes like back and forth between like England and Scotland or France Mm -hmm. and England um you know because it changes hands so often they need to know like who really is in charge of this kind of area Mm -hmm. um but so Edward is supposed to come to France, but Isabella's brother, Charles, who's the king, he says, like, Edward can come, but Hugh Spencer, if he comes and sets foot on this France, I will kill him. Um, okay. And so Edward doesn't want to go without Hugh, though. So Isabella suggested in what would be her ultimate power move to have her son, Edward, come to France instead. She's like, have Edward little Edward come, he can pay homage, everything will be fine. Mm, and mm-hmm. her husband, who we already know, isn't the brightest bulb, is like, sure. Great. And he's like, he sends Edward, and he says to Edward, when you get there, like, your mother needs to come back. But mm-hmm. now that Isabella has her son, she has the power. And she says she's not going back. And... Mm. Sad made- that her son is, like, a pawn in this political game, but... Yeah. Still smart for her. Yeah. So she made a speech at the French court that Hugh Dispenser had broken up their marriage and she would take up widowhood until Dispenser was kicked out. Wow. Wow. There were several letters sent back and forth between Edward and Isabella, Edward imploring her to come back and swearing that Dispenser meant her no harm. He's like, it's all just a misunderstanding. Um, Yeah, right. Yeah, and but Isabella had the support of her brother, who was the king of France, and lots of noble support, like all of the nobles who ran away from England and hated Edward and moved to France. When Isabella Mm -hmm. got there, they were, like, all about it. Um, Yeah. One of these nobles was Roger Mortimer, who was the member of the family that Isabella had spared. And Mm -hmm. he and Isabella had known each other since Isabella had first moved there. They met at her wedding and they, so they had been like friends for a long time, but here they became lovers. And so. Honestly, she deserves it. She's been in a loveless marriage for like most of her life. Yeah, Isabella, I mean, that's what we think. But as we know, Isabella having an affair is a treason. Um, Yeah. But right now she's in France where she's the sister of the king and the mother of the future king of England. And she's technically a widow. Girl said she's a widow. I accept (laughs) that. I believe her. Okay, you say you're a widow, you're a widow. Yeah. So um, Isabella also made alliances with Mortimer's friends. Uh, by promising Edward, her son, in marriage to Philippa of Hainau, I don't know how you pronounce it, um, who whose dowry gave her ships and men. Okay, she's really rich. Like, yeah. Hainau. <laughs> yes. So Isabella, Roger, and Edward the Younger prepared for war in 1326. By the summer of that year, many English nobles joined Isabella's cause, uh, but because of her affair, 
her brother pulled his support, which, because if you remember, his brother was the one yeah. whose wife had cheated on him, and then, like, blah, blah. Yeah. So he was kind of like, actually, I'm not about this whole affair thing. Um, which is also kind of hypocritical of her, because she literally had someone executed over having an affair, and then she goes and does the same thing. Yeah, I mean, she didn't have him executed for... She didn't have them executed for having an affair. She kind of just, like, yeah, pointed like out brought it to, to her light. father, being like, yeah. hmm, that seems so fishy. Um, mm-hmm. But even though she lost her brother's support, this did not deter her, and she moved uh, to Hainau, or however you pronounce this place, and planned for her invasion. Uh, this would be the first time since Eleanor of Aquitaine that a queen would lead an army against her husband. Ooh. But unlike Eleanor of Aquitaine, Isabella would be successful. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Isabella um, landed in England and all of the nobles and the church, uh, which was kind of a surprise because she was having this like open affair and she was hardly like a picture of piety. Um, Mm -hmm. But they all welcomed her with open arms and so much so that they didn't even really have to have a battle because Hugh Dispenser and the king um, were held up in the tower and they fled to Wales as soon as Isabella landed. Hmm. Isabella captured Hugh Dispenser's father, who was also named Hugh Dispenser, um, at Bristol Castle. <laughs> and he was hung, drawn, and quartered. His head was sent to his oh. old home and his body was fed to <gasps> dogs. Um, uh. Yeah, so Isabella, she has been taking notes this entire time. Um, yeah, she got her revenge though, girl. <laughs> so the king and the younger Hugh Dispenser were captured in Wales, and Dispenser was brought to Queen Isabella, and he was hung by the neck um, until nearly dead, and then castrated while still alive, and his genitals oh were burned in front of him, and then he was drawn, beheaded, and quartered. Um, and... That's so many different ways. <laughs> yeah, so I'm many ways saying, to die. I, I think just one like... of those would have been enough, but yeah. Um, but you know, the girl, she's she's had enough. Um, yeah. So, and the king was imprisoned. So that's not fair, honestly. Like, I want him to suffer. <laughs> um, Isabella had overthrown the king the first time this had happened since Matilda overthrew her cousin Stephen. But from Isabella's perspective, Matilda's biggest mistake was that she had left Stephen alive. And Isabella Mm. was not going to make the same mistake. Isabella had the support of the nobles and had her son crowned King Edward III. Um, While her husband was still alive and in prison, plots to restore Edward II to power began in 1327. Um, Who is on his side? Like who? Name name names. I want to know. I'm coming after them. <laughs> like who? Okay. Um, <laughs> but so luckily for Isabella, though, he just mysteriously died. There are no mm. details on how he died. Um, just that September 21st of 1327, he was dead. Mm-hmm. It was kind of suspicious because he had been of perfectly good health. He was in his like 40s, um, and yeah, there's many. Did she actually of... say like Matilda's one mistake was leaving her husband alive or leaving Stephen alive? No, that's just like okay. from. That's your speculation. Yeah, and because okay. it is something that 
the only other person to have done what she's done is Matilda. And the reason it didn't work out for Matilda is because Steven was still alive. Um, yeah. I'm so. just like, if she had said that, I would be like, she definitely killed him. But maybe, like, someone else killed him. You know? Yeah. Some either, I mean, I don't think that she probably personally killed Not him. Not personally, but, like, had him yeah. killed. But maybe someone else, like, orchestrated it. You know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I also think that Isabella is quite, like, fierce and a force to be reckoned with at this mm-hmm. point. So, like, would anybody else have had him killed? Like, it seems like it would be right mm-hmm. up her street. And everybody at the time pretty much either believed that she killed him or some people believed that he, like, escaped and was off living in Italy somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. But Isabella then did what all good female uh, wannabe monarchs do and basically just ruled through her son. Um, her oh, son was about classic. 13. Yeah, he was about 13 or 14 years old. So he still wasn't of age to like become mm. king himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so everything was done in both of their names, but everybody knew that she was one actually calling the shots. Mm-hmm. So shortly after seizing power, however, Isabella began to follow in the footsteps of her predecessors. Originally, she took the lands that Dispenser had taken from her back, but then she didn't stop there. She took lands that of the nobles and of the king that she had toppled, and but then the king's land technically should have been her son's land, so she kind of was just like stealing from mm. her own son, mm. which people were kind of like, mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she ended up having an income from all of these lands of 14,000 pounds a year, wow. which I was trying to figure out how much that money would be today. Mm-hmm. And if you were to talk about in terms of in her wealth, in terms of like the GDP of the co- country, um, mm-hmm. to, in like today's money, she would have been a billionaire. Um, oh, girl. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love it. Okay. <laughs> um, like, that's a lot because even in like 1800s, having like a thousand pounds a year was a lot. Yeah. So, okay. We're falling. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> um, her lover, though, Mortimer, was also taking loads of land and money that did not belong to him and this did not go unnoticed and, uh, and then again started to make the nobles angry. Hmm. Now we have the kind of the downfall of Queen Isabella and Isabella Beaumont's relationship. So like we said, Mm -hmm. they have been friends this whole time. Queen Isabella has supported Beaumont um, in all of her struggles to keep her lands and um, to stay in favor of the court. And Beaumont has supported Isabella even in her rebellion against her husband, who was Beaumont's cousin. So she kind of chose the side of her friend over her own family. Yeah. So when Edward and and Hugh Dispenser uh, were almost captured by the Scots, um, they had blamed the Beaumont family because Isabella Beaumont's brother-in-law was the one who was said he was going to build that stone wall in Scotland and like keep the Scots out. And obviously that mm. didn't work. And Mm -hmm. so Edward and Hugh blamed the Beaumont family and Isabella Beaumont fell out of favor with the court. But as she was close friends with 
Queen Isabella, they worked together and Isabella Beaumont was described as a silent partner in Queen Isabella's increasing hostility towards the king. Mm. And you think about like, if you're talking to your friend and you're like, oh, like my husband has been having an affair, like since before we were married, your friends will be like, Mm -hmm. oh, like you should hate him. You know, they're still really real people. Yeah. And when in 1326, when Queen Isabella left for Paris, Beaumont and her brother turned openly against Edward and Mm. their forces were attacking Edward's like royal officials. So one of the first things that Queen Isabella did when she came back and made herself basically regent was to appoint the late Earl of Athol's young son to the custodianship of Beaumont who then married him to one of her nieces, thereby giving her and her brother control of two out of the five Scottish earldoms. And this friendship seemed that it could withstand anything, uh, but it did reach its limit when the two women had to battle each other for power. Oh, so, no. As right. you remember, Beaumont had lands in the north of England and into Scotland, and now she had these the two of the five earldoms and England and Scotland had been at war for pretty much all of Isabella's life of being in England, you know, had gone on Mm. for like more than 20 years. And Mm -hmm. Isabella had watched her husband fight in these humiliating and tragic battles that were always losing against Scotland. And she wanted peace at all costs. So the list of the Scottish demands in order to create peace, though, was not short. And one of the main points was that no English man or woman would be able to hold lands in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And many of the nor- northern nobles, including Beaumont, were fiercely against this. And when Isabella agreed to these terms, they were outraged. And the friendship Yikes. between Isabella and Beaumont was over for good. Oh, I mean, fair enough. Like, that's a that's a deal breaker. I feel like but like also like this country has been at war for the past like 20 years. Like it surely has to end somehow. Um, But I understand both sides. They could have found some kind of loophole and left Beaumont the land. I feel like I feel like there's no way that the Scottish were going to be like, oh, yeah, we'll be at peace with you. But you can still have your like nobility having lands in our country because mm. that kind of defeats the purpose of them wanting their yeah. own land back. Um, yeah. Beaumont, however, did not just let the friendship die and walk away. She quickly became a mortal enemy for Isabella and she played oh, no. a key role in multiple plots to try and overthrow Queen Isabella. Oh, yikes. She took part in the Earl of Kent's conspiracy in 1330. Her role was to send her confessor to act as a messenger between Kent and William Melton, the Archbishop of York. And this was an act of betrayal which enraged Queen Isabella. And Alison Weir, who wrote a book about Queen Isabella, said that this was a bitter blow to the Queen. And yeah, I mean, tit for tat, like you betrayed your best friend, she's going to betray you too. 
I guess. Wow. Not that it has to be that way. Not that it has to be that way, but like you can't be really surprised about it, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I would have hoped that like my 30 year long friendship with someone or 22 year long friendship with someone, if I had to do something that they didn't approve of, that it wouldn't mean that they would then try and overthrow me. But yeah, but it's something they don't approve of that also like ruins their like livelihood and like just fundamentally changes their life yeah anyways though unlike um the earl of kent and the other co-conspirators isabella beaumont was not arrested or executed so maybe there was still some amount of affection between them Mm -hmm. or maybe it was just because she was a woman queen isabella's reign lasted only a few years um, after taking all of the money and land that didn't belong to her and making peace with the Scots she quickly became very unpopular Uh, her son when he was older he was when he was about 17 and able to take control on his own overthrew her and Mortimer uh, because he had always hated Mortimer anyways Mm. Um, he had Mortimer executed and his mother Yikes. was first forced into an early retirement. Hmm. She still lived in luxury, basically, though. And <laughs> so after the end of Queen Isabella's reign, Beaumont returned a favor in court until she died a few years later in November of 1334. She was probably in her late 60s or around there. Mm-hmm. And Queen Isabella, she died in... On August 22nd, 1358, when she was around 62 to 63 years old in Hertford Castle, England. She is often described as the she-wolf of France or a femme fatale. And Love to see although it. she was really popular during most of her life, except for at the very end, um, in England... Most of the things written about her now, like from after her death, were very negative and portrayed her as like a conspiring, manipulative um, woman who unjustly overthrew her husband. Hmm. Um, But yeah, so that is the story of Isabella and Isabella. (laughs) Wow. Well, thank you for that story. Yeah. I I'm kind of sad that they ended up being enemies like they went so long being such close friends but I mean also I feel like they didn't really get to see each other very much after the very beginning of their friendship anyways so it was probably not on like the most solid ground um yeah I think that but that probably would have been quite normal for the time because even like, you know, alliances, Isabella is one of the rarer ones who still actually got to see her family after she was married. Like a lot of the times, once you go off and get married to a king or a prince or whoever of another country, you just never see your family again, Mm -hmm. but you're still expected to hold up that alliance. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like the fact that they didn't see each other that much in terms of the kind of lifestyle that they would have been living actually wouldn't have been that weird because that's just how relationships worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) 
Anytime. Anytime. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Um, we're so happy that we're back with our regular episodes and actual sistery. <laughs> so until next time. We have to do the thing. That's that yeah. was my leading into this okay. history. Ready. Okay. This, this is history. Why do you say history so slowly? Because I was waiting for you. Okay. Okay. Whatever. Okay.